Hi, I'm Adam Sanford. I'm an academic life coach and professor in Los Angeles. And I'm Dinur Bloom. I'm a college professor in Los Angeles. And this is Learning Made Easier, a podcast where we discuss how we learn and how we teach and how they overlap. back to Learning Made Easier. This is episode 95, The Myths of Learning Styles. Many students and many teachers believe that learning styles, visual, auditory, or kinesthetic, are real. But research shows that learning styles are neuromyths, beliefs about how the brain works that, when studied, don't hold up to scrutiny. An article in The Atlantic, which we'll put a link to in the show notes, goes over the history of learning styles. In the article, the author documents how the idea of learning styles seems to have taken off around the same time as the self-esteem movement of the 1980s and early 1990s. Several things seemed to drive its viral spread through educational circles. The self-esteem movement, pushing the idea that everyone was unique and special, promoted the idea that everyone must also have a special learning style. Teachers wanted to be able to reach every student, and finding a way to present the same information in different ways that coordinated with student learning styles sounded like a great step toward achieving that. Students also had a way to excuse their poor performance if a teacher didn't present information in their preferred learning style. Students then go through the K-12 system being told repeatedly, you're a visual learner or you're an auditory learner and enter college believing this is the case. The only problem is lots of evidence shows they can't be because learning styles do not actually exist, at least not in the way we've all been conditioned to believe they do. Now evidence against learning styles includes a study published in 2018 in the journal Anatomical Sciences Education. And in this study, the researchers had students take a questionnaire that was originally developed by the creator of the learning style hypothesis to see what kind of learners the students were according to the questionnaire. Then the students were given study strategies to use that supposedly correlated with their learning style, as determined by the questionnaire results. There were two issues that showed up in this research. First, students often didn't change their studying to suit their supposed style, and those who did, second, didn't do any better on their exams than those who didn't. So even though the students were interested in which learning style they had, so to speak, it actually didn't matter enough to them to try to correlate their study habits with it much of the time. A 2017 study published in the British Journal of Psychology found that student perception of their learning styles did not correlate with actual learning outcomes. Students who were supposedly visual learners thought they would be better at remembering images, while students who were supposedly verbal learners thought they'd do better remembering words. But the study outcomes showed no such connection between learning style and memory. The researchers in this case determined that learning style simply meant, I like learning this way or that way, not that the subjects were any better at learning when they did. Yet another study in 2017 in the Journal of Educational Psychology this found that a person's supposed learning style had no correlation with their performance on reading tests or listening comprehension tests. What they did find was that so-called visual learners, they perform better on all the tests, 
But all this indicated was that some people have different strengths or different abilities. They're better at doing visual work or at reading or at picking out information from what they listen to. But an ability is not the same thing as a hard and fast style. The author of the Atlantic article points out, you can't visualize a French accent. Many tasks we have to do demand one specific so-called style. You can't teach music appreciation in a kinesthetic way, and you can't teach art appreciation through written descriptions. The Atlantic article also reports that as recently as 2014, over 90% of teachers around the world believed learning styles were real, supporting the idea that this theory was hot in K-12 education through most of the 1990s and even through today. But what about higher education? Surely professors who have access to the research would be less likely to buy into the myth, right? Sadly, that doesn't appear to be the case. A 2015 article on The Cut, which we'll link to in the show notes, demonstrates that even when you look at public research databases like ERIC and PubMed to see what the truth is about this theory of learning styles, most research on it starts out saying, this is a great idea. It makes sense. And only later shows that it may be a great idea, but it doesn't work out in practice. The author of this research, Phil Newton of Swansea University, found that even when he searched these databases and looked only at non-paywall articles, nearly 90% of them either implicitly or directly endorse the use of learning styles in higher education, even though the data shows they don't work the way the theory says they do. This means that even other researchers may find it difficult to get at the truth about learning styles. To further support this idea that higher education is just as unaware as K-12 is of the fact that learning styles have been debunked, we'll turn to a report released in September of 2019. This report documents the research done on neuromyths and higher education professionals' knowledge about them by the Online Learning Consortium, and we will also link to this report in the show notes. So again, a neuromyth is a belief about how the brain works or how learning works that isn't supported by evidence. Examples include the learning styles myth, but also the idea that we only use 10% of our brains, or that testing detracts from learning, or the idea of being predominantly left-brained or right-brained. All of these are false, but a large percentage of educators and the public still believe they're true. Researchers from institutions including Drexel University, Harvard, the Universidad de las Americas in Ecuador, the American University in Washington, D.C., Radboud University in the Netherlands, Northern Arizona University, and Taft College in California collaborated on this report to look into the issues of popular neuromyths, specifically to find out how teacher, administrator, and course designer beliefs at the level of higher education affect student outcomes and student success. Now, the Online Learning Consortium Listserv has members in institutions across the United States as well as worldwide, and the members of this listserv were sent out a survey on their knowledge of brain science and their beliefs about these neuromyths. They received 1,290 usable responses from their survey attempt, and of that group, 46% were teachers or professors. 26% were instructional designers, 18% were professional development administrators, and then 10% were some other role. The neuromyths they were looking at included these. All of these are false. Listening to classical music increases reasoning ability. 
a primary indicator of dyslexia is seeing letters backwards. Some of us are left-brained and some of us are right-brained due to hemispheric dominance, which explains differences in how we learn. We only use 10% of our brain. It is better for children to learn their native language before learning a second language. There are critical periods in human development after which certain skills can no longer be learned. Brain development has ended by the time children reach puberty. Learning problems associated with developmental differences in brain function cannot be improved by education. Mental capacity is genetic and cannot be changed by experiences. Individuals learn better when they receive information in their preferred learning style, visual, auditory, or kinesthetic. Now remember, all those statements Denor just read, they're all false. They're not supported by research, but many, many people still believe them. The survey also presented a series of true statements that are not neuromyths, but often get rejected as if they are. And we may cover some of the other false neuromyths and some of those true statements in later episodes. But for now, let's just focus on that statement about learning styles. Only 26% of teachers and professors in their survey group were able to identify that learning styles are a myth and not reality. By comparison, 46% of instructional designers and 35% of administrators were able to identify that statement as a myth, but in no case did a majority of any group recognize that learning styles are not a real thing. The researchers also found that people with terminal degrees like PhD, EdD, and JD had a greater awareness of neuromyths than people with non-terminal degrees like MAs and MSs, and those had more awareness than people with bachelor's degrees. So why is this important? Well, what we think we know about how learning works, that often informs how we create and design our classes. If those designs are based on faulty information, that can cause problems for the students when we and they expect certain conditions to produce certain results, and then those conditions don't do that. In their literature review, the researchers state, learning styles is one of the most widespread myths in education. They point out there's no evidence, despite repeated research on the topic, that shows individuals learn better when they get taught in or are given information in a preferred learning style. In fact, they find using learning styles as a framing method for teaching actually may make learning harder for students who will hear you're a visual learner and develop a fixed mindset around how they're able to learn. At best, Learning styles are a preference, not a style. Students may be more comfortable with visual information presentation, but that does not mean it's the only or even the primary way they should learn. The researchers concluded that all instructional professionals must receive professional development that increases their knowledge about brain science and how the brain actually works when it is learning to dispel neuromyths so classes are not designed around them. Now, when it comes to Denor and my experiences with this particular neuromyth of learning styles, I'll be honest. I believed the learning styles neuromyth for years. I never designed my classes around it, but I often used it as a way to explain away students' difficulty with my classes, which were text-heavy and visuals light. 
oh, they're not auditory learners, I would say, completely unaware that the learning styles neuromyth was, frankly, bunk and had been repeatedly debunked. Why did I believe it? Because so many of my teaching colleagues did. And peer pressure exists, even, and maybe especially, in higher education. When I found out about 10 years ago that learning styles weren't a real thing, no matter how intuitive it felt to have that be a real thing, they aren't. I made a conscious decision to investigate any other story I heard about how learning works and look at the research before I brought it into my classes. Like Adam, I also believed in this neuromyth. While Adam says he didn't design his classes around these neuromyths, I did make attempts to include visual things along with my talking so that my students would have something to look at. And when I could use games, I would try and work them in because I wanted students to have, I guess, their preferred way of learning. I wanted to teach to their styles to the best that I could. It wasn't that I designed my classes thinking, well, this is going to be specifically for visual learners, and this is for kinesthetic learners, and this is for auditory learners. It was more, if people learn differently, let me teach different ways. Let me teach or convey information in a bunch of different ways. And why did I believe it? For the same reasons Adam did. When we first start teaching, we start imitating or mimicking or emulating our mentors. When we see them in the job that we want to have one day, and we figured, well, they've reached this. We're just starting. Clearly, they know what to do. I'm trying to figure everything out. And if they believe and teach based on the idea of learning styles, their status over us kind of shows us, well, they got to where they want believing this. So maybe this is a real thing. We've got to be able to work with it. And even though, you know, like we've talked about in this episode, even though we know that the research is bunk, we also know that for many of our students, they are going to still believe this is real. And there's a famous phrase from W.I. Thomas who says, if something is treated as real, then it is real in its consequences. And that means that while Adam and I are going to be more aware of the research around neuromyths than most of our students, a lot of our students are still going to believe this is real. And this takes time and effort to unlearn. And given that, I don't highlight learning styles in any classes. But I take into account that these neuromyths are real to students and how they approach learning, at least initially. Now, that doesn't let us off the hook as teachers. You know, first step back from designing your classes around them and then let the students know, hey, you know what? This is not a real thing. I know you want it to be. It feels intuitive. It feels like it makes sense. You may say, I do better if there's pictures or I do better if there's words. And you might feel that way but there's no evidence showing that it has any effect on your learning or your grade. Because continuing to let our students believe this when we know that the research shows it's not true is kind of like letting our students believe that their astrological sign has something to do with how successful they are in a math class, for example. So students, here's how you can use this new knowledge. First, be aware. You may have a learning preference for information presented in a certain way. But your ability to learn is not limited to that method of learning. And if you start demanding that everything be only in that way, or if you start trying to only learn in that way, or if you try to turn everything into a visual thing or everything into auditory, 
you're going to actually find learning harder in general because you'll be limiting yourself to only one presentation of information, one way of doing it. And yes, you may find that you're stronger at picking up stuff from visuals, that that's a little easier. Or you might find that actually getting to do something like doing the lab instead of just reading about it may help you learn more. But that doesn't mean it's the only way you can learn. So find ways to learn in all these different styles every time you approach material, because that way you don't get stuck in learning in only one way. The way teachers can use this. First, be aware that learning styles are just a myth. They may be a myth you don't want to give up, but mythical they are. And they're not only not helping your students, they're harming them if you design your classes and lessons on the idea that you have visual or auditory or kinesthetic learners. Let your students know you won't be designing coursework, lessons, lectures, or assessments around these preferences, as well as what you now know about them, that they're just preferences, not actual styles. Also, make sure you read up on brain science and its relationship to education. Some of the sources cited by the researchers in the Online Learning Consortium include the Journal of Applied Research in Memory and Cognition, Trends in Cognitive Sciences, Educational Psychology Review, and many others. We will link to the report in the show notes, and we encourage you to explore the 21-page Works Cited page section of this report. So that's what we have for you in episode 95. If you're finding this podcast helpful, please share it with your friends. We're always hoping to get new subscribers so we can help even more people. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Android. We're hosted on Blueberry.com. And also, we'd appreciate it if you wrote a review of this podcast on Apple Podcasts. Be sure to join us next week for episode 96, when we'll talk about how to write a good resume once you graduate. You've been listening to Learning Made Easier, a podcast about how we learn, how we teach, and how they overlap. We want to say thank you to all of our supporters on Patreon who make this podcast possible. If you want to support us, please go to www.patreon.com slash learningmadeeasier. We look forward to seeing you next week.